felt led of the Lord to bring this message this morning. It's more teaching than preaching, but I know that God directs for reasons, and uh, and so I believe that this will have the impact that God wants it to have, um, and that it will direct where God wants to direct. If I could get everyone to turn to the book of Jonah, please. And we'll start from the first chapter and the first verse. Book of Jonah, first chapter, first verse. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it, not go sorry, to go with him unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Tarshish was the completely opposite direction to where God had told him to go. He uh was running in exactly the opposite direction um, from where Jonah was situated. Um, Tarshish was actually, sorry, not Tarshish, but um, Nineveh was actually a, a, a land journey. So by going anywhere by sea, he was going in the, in the opposite direction. So what happened after Jonah went into the boat? There came a, a huge storm, and the storm rocked the boat and, and the sailors experienced sailors thought that the boat was going to sink so they lightened the boat they threw everything out that they possibly could except for the people and uh, and that was, it was still this tempest a storm and, and they prayed to their gods but um, they they uh, didn't get any response then they they said Jonah you know why why are you sleeping why what's going on why aren't you afraid and uh, said, pray to your God and, and uh, that he might help us out of this situation. Jonah said, well, you know, it's not really any good for me to pray to, pray to, pray to my God because I'm actually running away from what he wants to do. I'm the reason why this, this, this storm is on the sea. And so they, they didn't, they tried to do everything they could um, beforehand. Um, this is before they lightened the boat. And, and eventually they, they threw Jonah out into the ocean. Um, well, we'll pick up from Jonah 1 verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land. They tried to do everything they could, but they could not. For the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore, they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the man feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Let's look at this situation. Jonah ran away from God in a ship. And as a result, the sailors on that ship were greatly changed. Look at verse 16 again. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. If Jonah hadn't run away, these men would most probably have never seen the power of God. Now, I'm not in any way, shape, or form saying that we should run away from God. That's not the way to do it. 
and there are always consequences. Running away, Jonah had to spend three, three days, three nights in, in the belly of a fish. Um, that's never a pleasant thing. I would imagine never having gone through that same experience. But I imagine that he was greatly changed from, from that consequence. Um, running away from the Lord doesn't solve anything. And Jonah was brought back into line pretty quickly. So what then can we get from this situation? The Lord chose in this one isolated instance to use Jonah's disobedience for his glory. That gives us great encouragement because if God was able to change people's lives through Jonah actively running away from God, how much more can God, when we try to serve him but fail miserably, turn it around to his glory? We don't need to worry about failing God because he can turn our greatest mistakes into his greatest victories. If God could bring something good from Jonah's disobedience, it's easy for the Lord to bring something good from our failures in trying to serve him. Today I'm talking about what God does with failure. What God does with failure. So we're going to look at five categories of failure. The first category is we can feel like failures and not actually be failures. Um, We've got an example here of Gideon and also Joshua. You know, Gideon felt like a failure. He went and, uh, and he... He went up and destroyed um, a grove um, of worship to, to a, a false idol. And then he ran away and hid. He felt like a failure. He felt like he, he hadn't done what God... Well, he, well uh, he felt you know, that he wasn't able of doing what God had called him to do. But he wasn't actually a failure. He actually followed God. Have you ever tried to do something for the Lord and felt like a huge failure afterwards? Some people are more susceptible to this than others because of their personalities. Some people are perfectionists. And if the slightest thing goes wrong, they feel like they've failed. I know I've been there. Um, I'm a bit of a perfectionist myself. Other people will feel like failure is a lot less. But it's safe to say that if we're ever going to do anything for the Lord, there will always be a time when we feel like we failed, when we've missed the mark entirely. Just because we feel like we failed doesn't mean that we've actually failed. I don't know whether you've noticed, but feelings very rarely match up to reality. What we feel has no bearing on what really happened or how God sees us. See, God doesn't see us from our own perspective, and I thank the Lord for that, <laughs> because sometimes we can be our own harshest critics. I remember my previous pastor talking uh, about his preaching once. He preached his heart out and felt no particular anointing and felt like he preached a really bad message that maybe he'd missed the mind of the Lord or, or that you know he hadn't done a great job. But then after the service, someone would come up to him and tell him how much they enjoyed the sermon or how much they were sp- spoken to through the message. See, God doesn't um, rely on our feelings to be able to do his work or how we feel about something, or how, about how we feel like we've done, God can still do a great work through something that we feel like we've failed in. God doesn't rely on our feelings or what we think to be able to do a work through us. Thank the Lord for that. <laughs> God is able to do more than what we think. The second category 
is that others can think that we're failures, but we really aren't. Job is an example of that. Um, he had his comforters, which weren't really very comforting. Um, and Jesus um, had disciples that thought he was a failure. In Luke 24 and 19, uh, Jesus actually appeared unto a couple of disciples walking to, on the road to Emmaus, um, and they didn't realize it was him. And Jesus said, and he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. They trusted that Jesus was going to be the one that brought Israel out of, out of bondage from, uh, from the Roman Empire. But they trusted that he was going to do something, that it was going to be him that was the Messiah, it was going to be him that was going to deliver. But they'd lost their faith. They thought that Jesus was a failure because it didn't happen the way that they thought it should have happened. Have you ever done anything for the Lord and had someone else try to pull you down? They criticized the way you went about it or your motives or pick holes in your performance. God doesn't listen to what other people say and judge you according to what they think or their opinions. If we've done our best for the Lord with the blessing of the church leadership, then it's Jesus who judges us, not other people, whether they're in the church or not. We will stand and fall on what we have done and not on what others think that we have done. The only thing we need to be aware of is that the Lord always works through the church leadership. Sometimes the leaders, even the pastor, will get things wrong. After all, we're all human. Okay? No one is perfect. No one is, is above failing at any particular point in time. However, the Lord will still work through the church leaders, even if they get it wrong. If the church leaders think that you failed and you haven't, don't worry. The Lord will bring everything to light in due time. God has a way of doing that. You just need to be patient if you find yourself in that particular circumstance. We can always have confidence that the Lord will show the truth of the matter in His time. The third um, category I want to look at is that we may not think that we're failures, but we really are. Um, Saul, uh, who became Paul in the New Testament, persecuted the saints. He sincerely believed that he was doing a work for God, but he failed miserably in that uh, pursuit because he actually was outside of the will of God. He was pursuing, he was trying to tear down that which God had put up. So he didn't think he was a failure. He thought he was doing completely in the will of God, but he was actually working against what God was wanting to do. This is the hardest thing for the Lord to deal with, along with thinking that we're failures when we really aren't. Because God has to change our minds and our way of thinking to be able to bring us back to reality. And He will never force us if we're not willing to listen. See, God is a perfect gentleman and wants us to follow Him of our own wills. Saul had to be brought to... Um, to a very special place in his life where God had actually shone a light from heaven before he realized just where he was going wrong. And sometimes it takes a big 
situation or a big change um, in the way that God talks to us that will make us realize just how far away we are from where we should be. Some people will never admit, even to themselves, that they are wrong or that they have failed. It's a pride thing. We always need to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost so that we will listen when the Lord tells us we're on the wrong track. It's the only way that we're going to be able to find out where we really are with God. You stay close to the Lord and He will lead and guide you to the truth. But you have to keep your eyes open and your ears open. The Lord can't use us in our full capacity until we learn to admit to and deal with our failures. Saul... Paul was used slightly before his conversion. He was used a little bit. He he was certainly uh, had a great amount of zeal. Um, he wanted to do a great work for God, and he ended up doing well, persecuting that which God had put in place. But he was used mightily after his conversion. After he came to realize just how wrong he was, God used him powerfully. But think about what God had to do to get Saul. And then who became Paul on the right track. He had to really stop him in his tracks completely um, from what the path that he was going. He was going to persecute people in, in other cities other than just Jerusalem. He was going to go around the entire country and, 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 and basically destroy this new Christianity thing. The fourth category is we can try to do the Lord's will before it's time and fail. One great example from the Word of God is Moses slaying the Egyptian to help deliver Israel before he, he had to run away because of that and, uh, and go to the land of Midian, I think it was. Especially when you're a youth, but not completely reserved to youth, we can think that we know it all. It's uh, one of the, the, the interesting things about youth is that the, the less experienced you are, the more that you think you know it all. You can say that God told me, me, that he wants to use me in this area or in that area. He gave me a promise. The Lord may have told you his plan for his life. Yes, that is possible. But he always works through the leadership in the church. Time is too short for loose cannons. God has set the leadership over the church for a reason. If God has revealed his plan for your life, the church leadership, usually the pastor, will confirm it. But sometimes the leadership will tell you to wait. And what young person, or really anyone, likes to wait? <laughs> but there is always, always, got it in bold here always a reason for waiting the main reason is that god probably hasn't prepared you enough for the role yet trying to do it now may destroy you spiritually in your inexperience in just in just where you are at in him at that particular point in time or it can take years to overcome for example moses moses had a lot of learning to do he was i think it was 40 years um in the the wilderness um, in in he became a, a shepherd he, he he was there for ages before God called to him again to do what he wanted him to do in the first place 
This is especially important if you're young, if you're a youth. As a youth, you almost certainly don't have the life experiences yet that help you to deal with the thornier problems that can face us when we do the Lord's work. Enthusiasm alone is good, but it won't take you very far at all. Because when the enthusiasm goes, then what are you left with? There needs to be some groundwork and preparation laid first. You can't build a house that will last without the proper foundation. It's given in a parable in the Bible. There was a house that was built on a rock and a house built on the sand. And then when circumstances, when uh, the outside forces and the influences came and beat on that house, the house that was built on the rock on the firm foundation stood and the house that was built on the sand fell. And you couldn't even see where it had been because it just, great was the fall of it, it says in the Bible. So if you try to go out and and do something without the blessing of the church leadership, then you're looking to be a house built on the sand. And your salvation is actually in jeopardy. That's why it's so important to work with your pastor in these big matters. Always check with him before doing what the Lord has asked you to do. See, God speaks to you through your pastor. Believe it or not, God has put that into the pastor. Um, The ability to directly speak God's words into your life. We can be very enthusiastic and impatient to do a work for the Lord, but we need to do it in His time and not ours. The most important thing is be patient. Hands up if you're a youth and you like to be patient. Hmm. Yeah, I thought so. For most of us, but especially youth, we always want things to be moving along quickly. We want to see a path. We want to see somewhere where we're going. We want to be there now. Um, Be nice, but that's not the way that it works. Um, In real life, most of the time, and also in the church. We want everything to happen now. And patience can be a dirty word. But if we want to be used of the Lord, we have to move in His time. Anything else is just asking for trouble. Our time or somebody else's time is not good enough. Only God's time is perfect and allows our lives to have the maximum impact on this lost and this dying world. Any other time invites complete and utter disaster because if people are lifted up into a position too suddenly the end result is usually pride especially if God starts working through them and God finds it hard to work through pride because he is no longer in control we're trying to do it all in our own strength God, who's God? we're we're proud, we can do this we've got everything under control that is the way that we start to think and where does God fit into that scenario? he doesn't fit because he's not in it. God can't use us if we have pride because we're no longer listening to him. James chapter 4 and verse 6 says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. When we're humble before him, he will turn our mistakes into victory. But when we're proud, when we do everything in our own strength, when we think we've got it, when we think that we know better than God or the church leadership, then, well, the word Bible says that God resists us. 
he resists us. And the fifth category is that we can actually be failures, completely and utterly. Well, that is an option, and yes, that is, that is entirely possible. There can be things that happen in our lives where we are actually completely failures. An example in the Bible is John Mark. Um, he went with Paul and Barnabas um, on a missionary uh, journey, and he was there for a bit, but when there was a little bit of persecution, he went back home. And, and Paul didn't want him to go on any other missionary trips after that. He just, uh, just said, no, no, he, he's failed. But it was, it was only much later that, that Paul said, um, yes, you know, he's, 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 wor- he, he's, you know, he's learnt now. He can be used now. When we're actually failures, this is the hardest for us to deal with when we realize this fact. You can realize that, oh wow, I've, I've, I've completely failed in this. I've, I've completely messed everything up. If we're honest with ourselves, we've all failed God at one time or another. And sometimes we keep failing in the same thing over and over and over again. You'd think we'd learn the first time. But after all, we are human. And we're only human. We're not perfect in any way, shape, or form. That is reserved to our glorified bodies when Jesus comes back. We need to keep as close to the Lord as we can and keep on trying. That's all that God asks, to pick ourselves up, to keep walking with Him, and to just allow Him to keep working in our lives, to keep trying, to keep going. What we need to realize is that Jesus is not limited by our successes or our failures. He just wants us to try and see what the Lord will do. We don't have to worry about failing in whatever the Lord wants us to do. If the pastor has asked us to do something or the Lord is leading us to do something for him, we can think that we're not able. I'm too young or I could never do that. Just remember that God leads the pastor. We don't have to look at what we think we can do. We need to look at what God wants us to do. Remember, He always prepares us for whatever He wants us to do. Even if we can't see it now, we'll be able to see it later. We'll be able to look back and say, Oh yeah, God was preparing me. Yeah, I I can see now that God had brought me to that place. God always prepares us. Sometimes He prepares us through our failures. Not in spite of but sometimes He prepares us through our failures. You see, failures help to reduce pride. And we've already looked at how, uh, how pride is something that, will, well, God will resist us because of that. And we're all susceptible to pride, no matter how outgoing or how reserved we are. It's, it's something that um, everybody will struggle with who's used for God at one point in time or another. Let's look for a, uh, a bit of time at how God prepares us for His work. If I could get you to turn to Mark chapter 4 and starting from verse 35. Please. Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. So we're talking about Jesus here. 
And the same day, when the even was come, he, or Jesus, saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. They were um, on the uh, next to one of the lakes. And when he, they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder, or the, the rear part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awakened him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus was teaching the multitudes from a boat by the seaside at this time. And after a hard day's work, when the evening was come, he told his disciples to sail to the other side of the sea. This would seem to almost be on a whim, with no warning or preparation beforehand. It's evening, we finished preaching and teaching, so let's go to the other side. So they sent away the multitude and took him even as he was in the ship. They just up and left with no prior planning. It seems that Jesus wasn't alone in traveling, as some others decided to tag along in their ships to follow him or maybe to see where he was going. But Jesus never asked them to come. They set off on their own whim, their own decision at the time. The Bible calls them other little ships. Whether that was a reference to the fact that they were smaller than the ship Jesus was traveling in, or just that they were about the same size, I'm not sure. But certainly, they certainly weren't large, well-equipped ships. As they were traveling across, a great storm arose and the ship started to fill with water. And notice that there's no mention of these other little ships again. They either sank or they turned back and somehow made it back to shore. This passage from the Bible has great relevance to all of us today. Jesus has plans for our lives. And sometimes it seems that he will send us somewhere or ask us to do something for him almost on a whim. It doesn't seem as though there's been any preparation beforehand for what we will face in the future. And just like the disciples, a huge storm enters our lives. And we wonder whether Jesus is really there or is really caring about what is happening. But then Jesus brings peace to the situation. And then, if we look at verse 40 again, it says, And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Jesus was disappointed and perhaps surprised that the disciples were acting and reacting in the way that they were. They were afraid for their lives. How is it that ye have no faith, he said? How is it possible that ye don't have any faith? They'd never been in this situation before, and yet Jesus fully expected them to do better with the situation they were facing. Why is this? The answer lies in the fact that Jesus had prepared them beforehand for this situation. In all his teaching and his miracles and his works, Jesus had been training and trying to raise the faith of his disciples. The fact that Jesus made these statements means that the disciples were falling short of the mark that he had set for them. His preparation for them had been good, but they needed to learn some more yet. And yet no harm came to them because Jesus was with them. He had asked them to travel to the other side, and so he was keeping them in every situation. 
And that is something that we can be greatly encouraged in today. We know that when Jesus asks us to do something, to go somewhere, He will be with us and help us through all the situations that we have to face. We may fall short or fail in some ways or areas. We may not trust Him the way that we should or the way that He's prepared us to be able to trust Him. You know, Jesus answers our prayers. He he delivers us from situations. He causes us to go through situations and then brings delivery, uh, deliverance or healing. And, and our faith and, and our trust in Him is greatly increased at that time. And then when we start going through something again, we can throw our hands in the air and say, you know, where's God in this situation? We need to look at what God has brought us through. We need to look at every other time that Jesus has delivered us, every other time that Jesus has brought us through a hard situation and realize that God has got it in control. He's got this. He is the one that is directing our lives. We need to allow the things that He has helped us through to encourage us and to realize that He has got everything in control in the future as well, not just the past, not when we can see that what He's already done, but in the present and in the future, we need to be able to trust Him, that He's got everything in control. We may fall short or fail in some ways or areas, but Jesus will help us to full distance because He has asked us to do it. And not only that, but when Jesus asks us to do something, we can know that He has already prepared us for it through events that have already happened in our lives. At the time... We may seem inadequate or feel inadequate for what He has called us to. But we can look back with hindsight later and say, Yes, I can see that through that trial, Jesus has prepared me for this. Or through that thing I did before, Jesus has been working to get me into this place where I find myself now. By way of an example, when my sister, um, uh, Kim Swall, who's now the uh, head of the Bible school, um, in Australia. My sister and I were asked to start preaching at the same time by our previous pastor. We immediately accepted. Why was that? There'd been no talk previously of having us as regular preachers. We'd just been, you know, here and there. And uh, and Brother Jackson came and said, you know, I'd like you both to, to start preaching regularly. I want you both on the roster regularly. And There'd been no talk previously of, of having us as regular preachers, and to some, it might seem like a whim, almost a whim, to have us to preach at that time. But the Lord had been preparing us beforehand. For me in particular, it was through the youth camp we had just been to that caused my immediate acceptance. God had, had spoken um, in the youth camp, and it may have been the same thing for my sister. And basically, they said, anything that God asks you to do or calls you to do, you know, just just uh, um, uh, be prepared to do it. Put your hand up. Just just offer whatever assistance you can. And so then, then we come back and then Brother Jackson says, oh, I want you to start preaching. It's like, okay. <laughs> um, this is what the Lord wants us to do. And But looking back over my life from that point in time, I could see how th- that the Lord had been preparing me to do preaching, to, to stand in front of people. You see, when I was just a teenager, I was shy and extremely introverted, far more so than, than I am now. I would just like keeping my shell. I'd hardly talk to anybody. I found it 
hard to to keep a conversation. Um, I was just really shy, introverted, and and not able, I thought, to do much. There was no way that I would have been able within myself to stand up and preach or teach in front of anybody. But over the years before that point in time where we were asked, the Lord brought me out of my shell, in particular through my job as a tutor at TAFE. I had to deal with people every day. I had to talk to people every day. I had to help. I had to, to, um, to well, encourage, I guess, but I had to, to be an assistance to people all the time. I never wanted to be a teacher. I saw my dad was a teacher. My dad was a high school teacher. I saw what problems my dad was having with his high school classes. And he, he'd come home and he was all stressed and, and he even almost went through a nervous breakdown because of the way that the kids were, were even at that time, had, had less and less respect for authority. They would just act up and, and it was stressing him no end. I never wanted to be a teacher. But the Lord opened doors and, and brought me into this, this, this kind of a situation at TAFE where I was teaching, where I was tutoring. The Lord brought it about that I would work as a tutor and as a teacher at TAFE. The Lord used my TAFE job to stretch me as a person. Yeah, I was stretched. And get used to talking in front of people in a class. And sometimes that's just where it starts. In fact, I wasn't there for very long and I was asked to stand in for, for teaching a class um, just just one or, or two lessons and uh, and uh, and so that, that threw me in the deep end I just did the best that I could and that was all part of the journey that was all part of the Lord stretching me and preparing me for actually kind of getting up in front of, of a pulpit and preaching later on because of this preparation by the Lord and many other bits of preparation in the meantime, standing up in front of the church and teaching or preaching isn't a problem. I know that the Lord is with me. I know that the Lord um, can use me and, and, and does use me in preaching and in teaching. And it's not a problem. You see, Jesus prepares us for what he asks us to do. What about biblical examples? We can look at the life of Joseph. God had given him a dream that his family would bow down before him. However, before his dream of being in authority could come to pass, he needed some preparation. Through the jealousy of his brothers, he was sold into slavery. He ended up the slave of Potiphar, who saw something in this young man and made him the overseer of his whole house. So he was given authority. He was given a position of authority and he was he was overseeing he was he was directing he was he was uh he was doing the day-to-day business and uh the bible said you know there was there was nothing that that uh that um, Potiphar needed to do but he put everything under Joseph he was given authority over a small number of men first god was preparing him for what the work that he was getting him, going to get him to do later, to fulfill that dream that God had called him to. He was given authority over a small number of men first. Then, because of Potiphar's wife, he was thrown into prison. And, some, and at the time, I'm sure he was wondering what was going on. He had done nothing wrong, and yet he found himself in prison. 
and it looked like the death of the dream. It looked like that he wasn't going to be able to fulfill what God had called him to do and what God had promised to him that he was going to do. Then that he found favor in the eyes of the head jailer and he became head of all the prisoners in the prison. So he became an overseer. He became the liaison, I guess, you might, between the prisoners and the head jailer. I imagine that there were more prisoners in the prison than there were men in Potiphar's household. So the Lord was building up Joseph by giving him authority over an increasing number of people. Started small and kept preparing him, kept giving him more authority, kept giving him more of an opportunity to oversee and to develop what God had called him to do in the future. The Lord was preparing Joseph so that he was able to fulfill the dream that he had given him. Finally, Joseph was appointed a position in Egypt that was second only to Pharaoh. And the dream that God gave him was finally fulfilled. His brethren came to him without realizing that it was Joseph. They bowed down before him. That was the dream that God had given him. That was when Joseph knew that, that the dream had been fulfilled, that what God had given him in, all way back when he was younger and through all of the pain and all of the, the, the death of the dream in between, God had been preparing him and keeping him to do that. See, Joseph becoming this, this uh, second only to Pharaoh when he was just a shepherd, that, 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 that just couldn't have happened. But God knew what was going to happen. God prepared the way. God prepared Joseph for what he was going to do. And God brought about the dream, the fulfillment of that dream. However, Joseph, the sheep herder, as he was before being sold into slavery, was, una- was unable to fill the position that God had prepared for him, so he needed to be prepared beforehand, which is what I've just been saying. He needed to go through some trials and situations first that would prepare him for the work that God had for him. He wasn't just thrust into leadership. He didn't go one day from just being a saint into being a pastor, say. There was, there's, no, there's no way that that will work well. But God has a way of preparing. And God has a way of bringing up over, usually over many years. He wasn't just thrust into leadership. He was prepared first. So when we fail or go through trials and situations that are unpleasant or stretch us to the limit, a lot of the time it is the Lord preparing us for something that He wants us to do. At other times, the Lord is using trials to try to bring us back back into His will if we have gone off track. A good example of this is Jonah, who ran from what the Lord asked him to do and got swallowed by a big fish to bring him back around again. However, all the trials that the Lord allows us to go through are for our benefit one way or the other. They just don't always seem that way at the time. No trial, no situation that's unpleasant that we go through is ever pleasant. But they stretch us, they help us, they encourage us when we get to the other side. And the Lord does work in us and changes us in ways that we don't always realize. Sometimes it's only when we get to the end of the process that we can look back and say, oh, that's why I went through that, or that's what God was doing through that situation. But when you're going through the midst of it, going through the storm and the sea, then uh, it's not always obvious what the Lord is doing. But we can always put our faith and our trust in Him. However, uh, sorry, um, however, 
Yes. There is also a warning in this scripture for us. When Jesus has asked us to go or do something, He is right there with us. We can always um, lean on that promise. However, if we decide to go and do our own thing in our own time, then we put ourselves in great danger. If we look at the passage of Jesus calming the storm again, we see that there were some people that followed Jesus without being asked by Him. Jesus asked His disciples to go into a boat and go to the other side, but He didn't ask other boats to follow Him as well. When they saw others, when they saw Jesus' disciples being called to go to the other side, they decided to do the same thing. They decided to copy what God had called others to do without being called themselves. Maybe they thought that they were following Jesus better by doing this. However, they weren't called by Him to do this. They were just following what they saw others doing. What happened to them? The Bible doesn't say, but it does specifically mention those other boats for a reason. In the worst case scenario, they sank with all hands. In the best case scenario, they turned back and made it to shore. However, these boats didn't have Jesus in them. They were operating by themselves on a whim to follow Jesus this way. If we try to go out and do something for Jesus without His call and without being prepared first, then we place ourselves in great danger. We might sincerely think that we are doing what God wants, that we are in the will of God, but Jesus isn't there with us. In the worst case scenario, we could lose our spiritual lives by backsliding. Remember the house built on the sand? And in the best case scenario, we will be, we will be back to square one, discouraged and possibly depressed and having wasted all of that time and that effort. Either way, we will suffer harm. We place ourselves in great jeopardy spiritually by making these major changes in our lives without consulting our pastor first. Sometimes the Lord has called us to do the work, but He needs to prepare us beforehand, just like Joseph and David. If so, He will pour us through situations and trials that will make us ready for the work that He has called us to. We just need to be patient. For Joseph, it took many years before he was ready to do what God had already called him to do. He had that promise when he was young, and then it took years before God was able to make him ready. And for us, it can be the same. Just be patient, and the Lord will lift up in His time. So what we need to remember is that the Lord always prepares us before asking us to do something for Him. Even if it doesn't seem like it at the time, we can look back in hindsight and see just how the Lord has prepared and changed us. The other important thing is to make sure that the Lord has actually called you to do, to do the thing that you desire to do, as the consequences could be disastrous otherwise. It could mean your salvation. So, we see that the Lord always prepares us for His work. But how does God use these five categories of failure to prepare us? Well, the first category, we can feel like failures and not actually be failures. Just like Gideon, God will reveal to us who we really are. God said to him, the angel, through the angel, thou mighty man of valor. God revealed to Gideon just who he really was. He felt like a failure, but God knew the truth of the matter. We just need to accept what God is telling us, who we really are. We, if we're not failures, then we need to accept God's word and just accept where he's called us to 
and what He's already given to us. God will bring us to a place where we will see past what we consider to be our inadequacies and show us that God can do far beyond what we feel or think. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. God can do exceedingly abundantly, far more, far greater above all that we could ask him or that we could think ourselves. If we think that we're a failure, God has more power than our way of thinking. By bringing us to his reality, the Lord teaches us to trust in him as he always has everything in control. The second category, others can think that we're failures, but we really aren't. Just like Job was patient through all his trials and through his comforters, God will teach us patience as we wait for him to reveal the truth of the situation. By learning to wait, we can do God's will in his time and not shoot off on a tangent ourselves. The third category, we may not think that we're failures, but we really are. God will reveal the truth to us if we will listen. God will teach us humility through the realization of our mistakes and will bring us closer to him as we realize that we don't know everything and allow the Lord to work through us again. The fourth category, we can try to do the Lord's will before it's time and fail. How does God prepare us and change us through that? God will use the failure to humble us and prepare us to do his will properly. Think about Moses. He tried to do something for God too early and he failed. If he had succeeded, he could easily have thought that he did it in his own strength. And in fact, he was trying to do it in his own strength. Even though God put him in that position in the first place. After all, he was raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he had a lot of power in that position. He had a lot of authority. There were a lot of things that he could have done um, to bring the children of Israel out from that position of power. If Moses had eventually used that power to free Israel, then he might well have looked to himself and not to the Lord, not trusting in him and thought that he himself had, had done what God wanted him to do in his own power. You see, God wants to be given the full glory in everything he does through us. After all, he's the one that does all the work. <laughs> it's not us. He has to work on us to get us to the place where he can use us and then he moves through us. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. If, if it's about you, then you're on the wrong track already. Moses had to be prepared. He had to flee from, from the, the, the Egyptians. He had to wander around in the wilderness. He had to become a shepherd for many years. That's quite a, quite a difference to, uh, to, uh, to being uh, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Quite, quite a, a different way of life. But it taught him about, about leading. It taught him about caring about the flock. It taught him many things that he did not know being the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He had to go through a burning bush experience. He had to have God talk to him. He had to, to, uh, to, have, uh, to learn to trust in God. God said, throw down your staff, and it turned into a snake, and pick it up by the tail, and, and it turned back into a staff again. Um, he still wasn't quite trusting in God, so God said, put your hand into your, into your garment, and it came out leprous. And he said, put it back in again, and it came out just fine. 
And and even then he didn't he didn't really trust in God. And uh, and so God said, Okay, I'll speak through Aaron instead of you. He he basically said, you know, my, my voice, my, my speech, it's 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 God, you know, you can't use me. You can't use anyone that, that, that can't speak properly. And but but God said, Well, yes I can and and uh and God wanted to use Moses, but he said, Okay, I'll use Aaron instead. But Moses had to go through a process where he had to come to the realization that that God was in control and that it wasn't going to be through his power and his authority or his might or his own strength that was going to cause the victory in this situation. Also that he could be able to be used of God and that God would be glorified. We can't do it in our own strength. We need to remember that. The fifth one, we can actually be failures completely and utterly. How does God use that? John Mark failed when on an apostolic journey with Paul and Barnabas. But later on, God was able to use him. God uses and shapes our lives to mold us into who he wants us to be. God will many times use our failures to keep us humble and teach us to always stay close to him and always look to him for our strength. We can never do it in our own strength. Though failure is always unpleasant, God has the awesome ability to use our failures in trying to serve him and turn it around for his glory. Think about Saul. He failed, but God turned him around. God turned around the entire course of his life and brought it about for his glory. Is there something that you've tried to do for God and failed miserably? Don't be surprised if God has already used it for his glory. God has the incredible ability to do that. So, what does the Lord do with failure? He uses it to prepare us for the work he has us to do and also to draw us closer to him. Some people let their failures take them away from Jesus, even to the point of giving up on God and his plan and leaving the church. That's how some people respond to failure. And if we're honest, we can, we can, uh, we, we've been in that place where we feel like we should just throw in the towel. That, that that's it. We, we can't serve God. We can't, do, we can't do it anymore. We just failed God. We failed God too many times. But that's not where God is leading us to. God is leading us to strengthen us. God is using us to realize that He has the control. God is using us to realize that He will bring us through every situation. God is hardening us for His work. Never let it happen that you give up on God and His plan for your life. If God has given you a promise, hold on to that. Don't ever think that that uh, your failure in one particular point in time, or even many, is going to disqualify you from what God has promised. Because God will use your failures. God will use your mistakes. God will use anything to prepare you for what He has called you to do. Let's allow the Lord to mold and shape us so that we can serve Him in a greater way and in a greater ability. One thing that the Lord has called us all to do is to witness to other people. We may have witnessed in the past and felt like we completely messed it up. And we let that discourage us from witnessing again. Satan would love us to think that way. Hey, you're a failure. You tried to to witness to this person. They rejected you or... Or, you know, they're not interested and, 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 you know, you don't have it. You can't. You don't have the ability to talk to people. You don't have the ability to try to lead people to God. 
Satan would love us to think in that way. But we have no idea what impact our failed, inverted commas, attempt at witnessing has had on the other person's life. If they have reacted negatively or even violently, that could be because God is dealing with their hearts. In fact, often it is because God is dealing with them and they just don't want to admit it. We still need to use wisdom in witnessing. Yes, we do. But there are many people, if someone's threatening to kill you, then you might just want to hold off for a little bit bit of time before witnessing and, and really seek the Lord about witnessing to them again. So we need, still need to use witness, wisdom in witnessing. But there are many people in church today because somebody wouldn't stop witnessing to them. They talk to them again and again. And say, no, no, I'm not interested, not interested. No, I'm not interested. Go, go away. Stop. Leave me alone. Even though they rejected the saint many times previously, eventually there was a turning point where they said, yes, okay, I'll come. Something eventually changed in their life or their circumstances that made them reconsider going to church. Or they were actually interested in the first place, but their pride wouldn't let them give in at that time. Or... They went along to church just to shut up the person witnessing to them. There's many people who've been saved because the person just wouldn't stop witnessing to them. They said, oh, okay, I'll go once if you'll shut up, if you'll go away. And then they got saved in the process. God uses people that won't give up, that will keep reaching out to other people. We should never be discouraged when somebody seems to reject us. If they're rejecting anyone, they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting God. And God is probably dealing with them in a huge way inside. We need to make sure that we're living the life that God wants us to live as well because our lives will, our conversation, the way that we live, the way that we walk, the way that we react, will talk to people in a great way and will enhance any way in which we witness to people. God... We shouldn't let the outside appearance of people fool us or the way that they react when we witness. God deals with people's hearts. He doesn't deal with their exterior. He doesn't deal with the way that they react. He deals with the inside of people. And most of the time, people don't like it. It makes them feel uncomfortable. I want, you to, I want to encourage you this morning to keep witnessing no matter what. Witness with boldness, but also with wisdom. Don't let anything discourage you because God himself will be with you as you reach out to others. He is with us in every situation, in every trial, in every circumstance. And when we're witnessing, he's with us just as he is with any other situation. God himself will be with you as you reach out to others. And there's nothing more rewarding than to see someone you've been witnessing to and working on for a while come to church. That is something that's incredible. It's something that's encouraging. It's something that is gives you joy because, because God has been working on a person's life and, and you're seeing the fruit from that. If you could stand...